All right. Andrew, um, thanks for sitting down with me today. I mean, you've worked on a couple of projects in the past, and um, you know, I know you as a WordPress developer that is pushed, always pushing the limits of what the platform can do. Um, but I heard you talk and give a presentation at the Cocoa Skillshare about um, cryptocurrency mm -hmm. and what that all means. Yeah. And uh, that's what I want to talk with you about today. So uh, we can get started by just getting, giving, introducing yourself and giving a bit of your background. Mm -hmm. um, you know, where did you, where'd you go to college? Yeah, so um, my name's Andrew, uh, Andrew Robbins. I went to the Art Institute, International Minnesota, downtown um, in Minneapolis. Um, and I went for graphic design. Uh, so kind of the brother or sister uh, career of web development, sort of. Um, and at the time, I didn't really know that I wanted to do web development. It was mostly a, a graphic design pursuit that I was kind of aiming at. And it wasn't until I got an internship at a local agency here downtown as a uh, UI developer that I sort of understood how fun and how rewarding uh, development was for me. Mm -hmm. And so ever since then, I've been uh, pursuing web development instead of design. Um, and so I think that was about six years ago now. Yeah. yeah. So, so you graduated six years ago, and then um, did, did you go directly into WordPress, or were you doing just just web development in general? Actually, yes, I did. The first project they put me on as an intern was this uh, nonprofit WordPress project, and at the time, I had no idea what I was doing. I was basically learning as I was going, mm -hmm. and it was great because the the internship allowed me to have a a mentorship basically um, they brought me on with the under, the understanding that I would basically be uh, be I would be mentored by my my boss at the time mm -hmm. um, and he was interested in people who uh, showed more of a passion for development rather than you know got a degree at a formal college for it mm -hmm. and uh, so I was I was mostly being mentored by him and kind of shown how to do stuff basically mm -hmm. and, and learn as I as I went was he a developer or more on the yeah, design he, side? Yeah, he was a developer. Uh, he was also a UX. He is a UX uh, a guy too. He's been doing it for, geez, maybe 20, 30 years now. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. So was it um, was it a you know a long time passion? So like, why while you were in school, you were you know, messing around with with code as well, or? I was, yeah, not not anything serious, but I would, um, you know, make my own websites, really static, uh, mm -hmm. just static HTML sites for um, uh, just random stuff for friends and stuff, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, so I, I and I was sort of self-taught. Um, I didn't really take any formal classes on it until. Um, actually, I do take that back. I took a class at a tech college when I was in high school. We had that that post uh, elective class. I don't know if you had that when, where you went, but it was this thing where you could go to a, a college or a tech college as one of your electives in high school. Mm -hmm. And I did have a, a class there that kind of, kind of taught the basics of HTML and stuff, but I didn't think of it much at the time, I guess, mm -hmm. now that I think about it. Yeah. So um, how has the, your graphic design degree, your love for design, impacted mm -hmm. how you approach like development yeah it's helped a lot actually um it's allowed me to be a better front-end developer mm -hmm. um it's been taking a lot of practice to be a better uh, programmer 
per se. Mm-hmm. That's definitely have t- has taken a lot of practice and, and study, and I'm still learning, obviously. But mm-hmm. the design portion helped a lot because I'm able to, to visualize uh, more clearly and kind of, for example, one of the the uh, principles I teach is the rule of thirds, mm-hmm. and that comes in handy too in web design as well. Um, so just things like that has helped mm-hmm. down the road. Right. On. Yeah. Cool. All right. Well. <clears throat> To the subject at hand. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, for the longest time, I've heard you know, the term Bitcoin and, um, you know, cryptocurrency. And I always thought about it as just, you know, a new new wave of distributing value, right? So basically money. Um, but recently, um, after your, your, your presentation, we started looking more into it. Um, realize that like there is economic theory behind it. There is technology behind it. Mm-hmm. There is um, just threats to incumbent industries mm-hmm. um, behind it, mm-hmm. or you know coming as a result of it. And I guess you know one, I think it was a podcast I listened to. I can't remember it right now, but the 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 way that he framed it up was he said like if you it's Bitcoin is, or the blockchain um, is like the internet. If you talk to a, a, a programmer, it's a development platform. Mm-hmm. If you talk to um, a journalist or a content creator, it's a distribution platform. Yeah. So it's this one thing that has, um, you know, means a multiple of things to different people. Yeah. So, you know, Let's start with the most common uh, use case for okay. it, and th- that people kind of understand and then kind of dig into the others. Sure. Yeah. So what would that be? Yeah, this is a good question. So um, the reason why you're seeing a lot of different definitions of it is because it is so applicable to everybody. Uh, it's, it's a general technology that was invented um, by a man or a woman, or it's he's still or she's still uh, uh, out there. Uh, by Satoshi Nakamoto, and the general idea is that it's a it's a digital currency. There's two sides to this. It's a it's a digital currency, so it's a it's a means of exchange over the internet or through a digital means, and then it's also a um, a way to keep track of value over time, which is the blockchain. And the you can think of the blockchain as just a a giant ledger where you keep track of of uh, whatever you want. In Bitcoin's case, it's a it's keeping track of transactions, actual uh, money value transactions. Okay. Um, so that's the bare bones of what the Bitcoin technology is at the at the root of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but what's interesting is that the blockchain technology allows for uh, multiple different use cases, which we can get into later. Mm-hmm. Which is why, uh, for example, to a content creator, it might be different. Uh, it might uh, have different meaning than an economist, for example, or or a web developer. Got it. Because you can do multiple different things with the blockchain. Okay. So how does someone come up with like a Bitcoin? Like start at the very basics. Like, okay. What you know, I have a Bitcoin. Where did I get it from? Okay, so one of the one of the fundamental um, dynamics behind this system is you have this concept of miners. Okay. And just like in the real world where you would go and mine gold and silver mm-hmm. or any kind of precious metal, 
the Bitcoin infrastructure was created with the same concept in mind. But instead of going into the physical world and mining your resources, uh, what you're doing is you're using your your computer, mm-hmm. um, in Bitcoin's case, it's your graphics card, to solve a mathematical problem. Mm-hmm. And based on, if, you're, if you solve that problem um, before other people, then you get rewarded by a Bitcoin. So every time this problem is solved, new Bitcoins are created in existence. Okay. So I could, where do I find that mathematical problem to solve? Yeah, so this is where it gets a little technical, but I'll, I'll try to make it as approachable as possible. So, um, so when there's a transaction on the network, on the Bitcoin network, mm-hmm. that transaction gets lumped into what's called a block. Mm-hmm. And the, the miners, or they're also called nodes on the network, mm-hmm. Um, are listening for these transactions. And once these transaction com- transactions come in, the miners will, will lump them into blocks. Mm-hmm. And if, if they're lucky, or if they're the lucky ones on the network at the time, they'll, be, they'll have the opportunity of broadcasting that block to the whole network. And then at that point, uh, everybody else on the network, or the nodes on the network, or the miners, mm-hmm. will look at that block that that person broadcasted and verify it. Mm-hmm. that the transactions are correct. And at that point, um, the Bitcoins then are rewarded to the person who found that block. Right. But the block is simply a package of, you know, a bunch of different transactions at the time. Got it. And the code, what the code is there, the, the math problem that you're trying to solve, is you're trying to verify that the transactions are valid. And it's a, it's, it's, it involves cryptography and math that I don't, fully understand how it works but mm-hmm. it's it's usually it's I, th- I believe it's using a sha-256 crypto algorithm underneath the hood mm-hmm. which basically takes an input mm-hmm. and then it uh outputs a, uh, uh, an indecipherable output basically and the miners are, are are concerned with validating that the the input is correct so every miner basically has the answer to the question or to the math problem. They they can't find it yet, um, or, or they're looking for it. And if I, as a node on the network, mm-hmm. find it and send it out, they check to see if the problem that they were trying to solve, if that was the answer. Basically, yeah, okay. they'll they'll check that the mm-hmm. the transactions are valid within that block, mm-hmm. and so it's almost like a review of work or code review or whatever mm-hmm. you want to call it um, of, uh, of other people's work. Um, and it, it allows more security in the network too, mm-hmm. which is, which is really nice. So if, is it, is it automatically triggered when the problem is solved to be broadcasted? So like I, I couldn't go and say, uh, Hey guys, I solved this, this, this problem and have a bunch of uh, Bitcoin handed to me um, without actually, like, what, what's the time frame of verification? Right, okay, so you, you wouldn't be able to just say, hey guys, I, I've solved this problem mm-hmm. without actually solving the math problem. Okay. So that's that, and then uh, on average it takes about uh, 10 minutes for a confirmation on the network. Okay. Um, right now, there's with the caveat. Right now, the Bitcoin network is going through a lot of uh, growing pains mm-hmm. uh, 
we can get into this later, but right now it takes upward of 30 minutes or to an hour to confirm mm -hmm. transactions. And that's due to um, uh, a limitation in the current Bitcoin uh, platform. Basically what has happened is that the Bitcoin uh, ecosphere has grown so much that it's, it's uh, pushing the, the flexibility and the, um, how many how many transactions can actually fit in a block essentially, and so the the open source community that is, that are working on the Bitcoin platform right now are are in the a heated debate mm -hmm. on how to solve this. But anyway, it's getting past the point. But uh, cool. Does so that does that answer your question? It does. Okay. Um, okay. So then, how is it that uh, there are multiple multiple types of currencies like there's dogecoin there's bitcoin yeah but the underlying technology is still the same yeah so this is the beautiful thing about open source software mm -hmm. um so you look at a wordpress website right mm -hmm. the code behind that is open source wordpress.org open sources their their code which is word the wordpress mm -hmm. code basically and mm -hmm. then it allows us as developers to use that code to build wordpress sites mm -hmm. That's exactly how the Bitcoin uh, code base is structured. So Satoshi open sourced the code mm -hmm. and put it on GitHub. Mm -hmm. And now anybody can fork that repository and create their own, what's called an altcoin, okay. like Dogecoin or Litecoin. Mm -hmm. Now, there are exceptions to this where, for example, Ethereum now, we'll talk about that later, mm -hmm. is not a fork of Bitcoin. It's actually its own thing, but it's inspired by Bitcoin. So then how does... <coughs> How do you pick the right coin to 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 get behind? Like, you know, do you go Bitcoin because it's the most popular one? Um, you know, how, how did it gain such widespread adoption? Bitcoin and then like all these other ones that are popping up. Yeah, it's it's a great question, and I think historians, you know, fifty, hundred years from now, will be mm -hmm. looking at that and studying that because it's very interesting. The first, from what I understand, one of the first transactions on the network was for a pizza. And I think it was for something ridiculous, like 10,000 Bitcoins for one pizza. Uh -huh. And um, so that's interesting to me. I, I think that's uh, how the value begins and how the value starts. I guess it just takes someone just to take a risk and, and say, hey, you know, I think this is going to have value eventually. And, mm -hmm. and then you have, see, and now what you have is... Uh, Bitcoin differentiates itself from the other altcoins in mm -hmm. that it has established the network effect. So more people know about Bitcoin. They know sort of what it is in a sense. Mm -hmm. They know it's kind of like digital money. And so when you talk about a cryptocurrency, they go, oh, it's Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. um, now, with regards to these other altcoins, they do have, it's not just a clone of Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. There are like subtle variants to the code base. So, mm -hmm. for example, Litecoin. A lot of people look at Litecoin as like the silver to gold as as Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. And what Litecoin does different, though, is it has faster confirmation times. So if you remember uh, just a little bit ago, we talked about it takes about 10 minutes or it used to take about 10 minutes mm -hmm. for a transaction to, to be confirmed mm -hmm. by the other miners on the network. Mm -hmm. Litecoin uh, increased that, that time or decreased that time substantially. And so mm -hmm. that's one of the benefits of using Litecoin. But of course, it doesn't have the network effect that Bitcoin does. So, um, got it. Yeah. So then, <clears throat> but it's 
So you extract the value and, and you accumulate these, you know, these these digital currencies, yeah. and then you can convert them back into real dollars. Yes. Now it's there's a couple steps you got to go through, but it's becoming easier and easier to do that now. Mm-hmm. There's a website out there called or an organization called Coinbase, okay. and what they do is they act as an exchange for Bitcoin or mm-hmm. crypto cryptocurrencies. And so what you can do is you can link a debit card or a bank account to their account. You, you create an account with them, mm-hmm. link your bank account to them, and then you can uh, do a direct deposit from your bank account into Bitcoin. Um, and then vice versa, you can deposit Bitcoin into US dollars back into your bank account. Uh, now there's restrictions though. If you do this, there's a, the IRS has a tax policy on this where if you sell Bitcoin into US dollars, then you have to pay a capital gains tax, I believe. Mm-hmm. Don't quote me on that, but I think mm-hmm. it's something like that. Um, but yeah, it's it's fairly painless. Now, what is interesting is fairly recently, um, there's a company out there that was founded called Shapeshift.io. Okay. And what they allow you to do, which is awesome, is swap cryptocurrencies to one another, basically instantaneously. Um, with minimal fees. So, for example, if I wanted to go from Bitcoin to Ethereum, mm-hmm. I could do it. I mean, it would be very painless. Mm-hmm. And what's really interesting is it allows for just a ridiculous arbitrage opportunity for mm-hmm. for people in this space. You know, if Bitcoin has a has a problem, let's say a genius coder found a, a, a bug in the code base. Mm-hmm. Um, and Bitcoin's crashing, well, people can move their Bitcoin into Ethereum or wherever immediately. Mm-hmm. You don't have to wait a couple of days or whatever or mm-hmm. an hour. You just, boom, and you see the result. So you see the transfer of value. You see the subjective value move so quickly now mm-hmm. with, within this space. Yeah. So then, <clears throat> you know, when you look at uh, you know, trading services online for, for this, I'm starting to see, you know, Bitcoin accepted I think Amazon started accepting Bitcoin. I'm not sure about Amazon. I, that'd be cool if they did. I don't. I don't know. I feel like I've, I've heard that, like there's a big company that started accepting Bitcoin. Anyway, Overstock uh, did Overstock three three or four years ago now. Okay. Yep. Um, how so do you have like? Do you envision down the road just having you know Visa, Mastercard, uh, Bitcoin? Other and then just having like a laundry list of <laughs> of potential things that you could uh, different currencies that you could could purchase goods and services with. Yeah, I, I don't see why not. Yeah, I don't see why not. I do think though, it's going to be interesting to see how Visa, Mastercard, and these traditional uh, payment paradigm mm-hmm. platforms adopt this. We're starting to see now these these companies try to adopt the technology while still keeping their old business model, mm-hmm. um, which a lot of people are speculating is not going to work. But we'll see what happens. But yeah, it is going to be interesting. I, I don't see why not. I, but mm-hmm. the thing is with this is that you can have as many altcoins as there are people on the, on the planet, mm-hmm. and then some. So where it's going to stop, I don't know. It's, it's an interesting... Uh, Thing to think about though so is there a difference in the way these coins are mined y- yes okay 
there are differences, and the difference depends on how the the uh, creators of the coin structure mm-hmm. that. For example, um, so let me back up. So one of the reasons why Bitcoin has uh, reduced its uh, adoptability for mining mm-hmm. is because it's so hard now to be competitive in the mining just if you have just a computer. Mm-hmm. Um, because, and the reason is, is because there's these things called ASIC miners, mm-hmm. which are uh, custom-designed hardware specifically designed to mine Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. And it costs a little bit more money. Um, so that's one one side to the token. And then another token is that there are whole server farms in China. Mm-hmm. Based, it's all, almost all of it's in China right now, mm-hmm. the mining power warehouses. There's YouTube videos. If you, if you search uh, Chinese mining farms, it's mm-hmm. unbelievable how many uh, mining rigs are just running, running continuously in these giant warehouses. It's, it's quite a spectacle. But that's another reason why it's hard to compete is because you're competing literally with this warehouse full of mining power. Mm-hmm. So it's hard to be competitive. So if, if I set up a rig for Bitcoin yeah. and I'm mining Bitcoin yep. and then suddenly I see this other altcoin is taking off, um, can I just go you know, change the line of code and say, I don't want to do Bitcoin anymore. Mm-hmm. I want to do CoinX. Pretty much, pretty okay. much. Um, Pretty much. So there, there are certain mining software um, instances that you can install on your system. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, it's literally almost as simple as that. You just install that, that miner and then point your, your, uh, your miner to their server and then you start mining the coin. Um, there are certain exceptions. For example, uh, there's differences between CPU mining and GPU mining. Okay. So there are some coins you use your CPU on your computer instead of your graphics card. Mm-hmm. So that's that's one area where it's different. But And then the main area, though, that's different is the, the hashing. They call it the hashing algorithm that's used. Mm-hmm. And that's simply, remember when we talked about that, solving that math problem? Mm-hmm. That's essentially what what the hashing algorithm is. You're, you're using a different algorithm to, to verify the transactions. Okay. But that's very technical stuff that mm-hmm. it's, it's hard to get into. Mm-hmm. myself because I don't know fully exactly how it works but so okay so taking a step back and looking from a, a high level because this this you know, when you hear you know, people who have you know predicted the future um, like Reed Hoffman um, you know, the founder of LinkedIn he's mm-hmm. like full on into not Bitcoin per se but the the, the, the concept of the blockchain right? yeah um, so let's let's Take a step back and like talk about the blockchain itself. Like, okay. what what exactly is the blockchain? So the so the blockchain is just a uh, a, a ledger over time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's, that's an interesting piece, like the over the overtime piece. Yeah. So it's basically from the first day you join the ledger if, or the the blockchain, if you will. It keeps track of every single thing you do on the blockchain? Yeah, yep. Okay. Yep. Now, in your presentation, you talked about decentralization, Mm -hmm. right? Yep. Um, What does that mean as it relates to the blockchain? So the, the blockchain allows this interesting attribute called trustless, 
you're able to put trust in the blockchain, which is just math Mm -hmm. and and computer power and software um, rather than human beings. Okay. And this concept allows you to eliminate a lot of previously thought of sacred institutions. Mm -hmm. For example, the whole banking institution, Mm -hmm. I believe, is going to be completely... Uh, completely demolished in a lot of ways because of this. For example, you don't need to now go to a Wells Fargo or a U.S. bank to hold a bank account. Mm-hmm. You can have your own bank account fully controlled by you. You don't have to have any restrictions with regards to how many times you can transfer funds from one wallet address to another wallet address. Mm-hmm. Um, all on your smartphone, right? Mm-hmm. And you don't have to go to a Wells Fargo to do this. Um, and so, does that answer your question? It does. Okay. But keep going. Keep, keep, keep going on it. Um, so, how does it relate to decentralization? Well, because it's trustless, mm-hmm. it allows you to eliminate these things. So, for example, another institution that could be potentially eliminated would be um, uh, arbitrage institutions. Okay. So... Without getting into too much detail at this point, um, what you can put a what's called a Turing complete programming language on top of the blockchain, okay. and when you do that, you can actually execute code every time a tra- transaction comes through. And if you do that, now this is where it gets really interesting because now you can start saying, okay, if I receive this amount of money, mm-hmm. I want this to happen, and this being some kind of program being run. Mm-hmm. So. If, if I'm sent uh, $100 in Bitcoin, I want this contract to be executed, uh, which eliminates the need for any kind of legal, uh, legal um, arbitrage individual or accountant mm-hmm. or any kind of this, uh, this kind of stuff here. Okay, so basically, it can be used to verify pretty much anything. Yeah, anything you can program, I guess. Anything, anything you put in, you can put into software uh, to run. Yeah. Okay. So then, what? Because you said it, you know, it might disrupt the 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 the, the banking industry. Um, what about this? How do you verify the identity of of individuals on on the blockchain? Yes. So I'm glad you asked this. This is uh, very important because without this, um, the whole thing would crumble. Okay. The whole thing is predicated on the idea that. Uh, you can verify that this came from this person and you can absolutely ensure that that's true. Mm -hmm. That's the only way this thing works. That's the only reason why it's trustless. And the way this works is through what's called asymmetric encryption, which is uh, also known as public-private key encryption. And the idea is you keep a private key on your own local computer and you broadcast a public key. Mm -hmm. And the public key is just a... a, It it relates to the private key. Mm -hmm. And by broadcasting the public key and, and providing then a uh, password or some kind of verification of your private key, you're able to then verify, yes, I own this private key or this, this public key is corresponded to this private key. Does that make sense? It does. Okay. It's kind of a tricky thing. to. It's easier to see visually, unfortunately, but basically that's how it works. So basically, you know, it's, it's, it's like the two keys to the nuclear code. Yeah, right. that's a good way of thinking about it. Yeah, yeah. Okay. and and one of the keys you never you never broadcast to the public. Mm-hmm. It's exactly how um, SSL or or um, uh, HTTPS works. When you get an SSL certificate, that's mm-hmm. basically how it works. You keep the private key on the server 
for wherever you buy the SSL, mm-hmm. um, and then you broadcast that public that public key. So is all is all this in the cloud? Uh, not all of it. Well, okay. it's sort of. It's kind of a combination of both. You generally will keep your if you have a wallet on mm-hmm. your computer or on your phone. Mm-hmm. That private key is kept on your phone or on your computer. It's not. Okay. It's generally not put on the internet. Mm-hmm. But if you use a a, uh, a cloud based wallet like mm-hmm. on Co- Coinbase or somewhere like that, then yeah, all that is being. You're assuming you're trusting that that person to keep your private key safe. Okay. So, so this is where, or this is, I think you know, possibly an advantage of the institutions, right? Because if, if the keys. If my keys are on my phone, yeah, and I lose my phone, mm-hmm. um, how do I, you know, I go buy a new phone? Like, how do I get my key back on on my phone and verify that I'm the one that actually owns these you know, these this history of transactions on the network? Yeah. So the short answer is you don't lose your phone. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but um, you, it's very trivial just to make backups of your wallet. And when you make a backup of your wallet, you mm-hmm. can um, then import it back into the to the wallet software at any mm-hmm. time. So one of the smart things or best practices to do if you have a decent amount of money in Bitcoin or a cryptocurrency is to is to make a backup of your wallet in three or more places on different computers. Mm-hmm. For example, I have mine backed up to Drop Dropbox, which is cloud based, which mm-hmm. is nice. So if any of my computers fry or whatever, I can just go back there and restore it. Okay. I also have it on one of my computers and then on an external hard drive that's disconnected from the internet. Mm-hmm. And then you can e- even do um, a, what's called cold storage, okay. which is simply writing down the... Okay, so real quick. So when you back up your wallet, it outputs uh, what's called a JSON file. Mm-hmm. Or it'll output also a different way of doing it is just outputting a, a string of characters, okay. which is, I guess, the same thing. But So you can write that down on a piece of paper which is called cold storage. And then you just keep that piece of paper uh, wherever in your safe or whatever. And then you can, when you go to import it, you just type those characters in your wallet software. Okay. So, so it's basically remembering your password. Just remembering your password okay. and making sure you back up your wallet. Okay. So then now before you, I just want to say one more thing. I lost a bunch of Bitcoins when I first got into this okay. because I was, that was reckless and I didn't do any of that. Mm-hmm. And there's so many examples, so many people out there who have done the same thing. Uh, so it's, it's definitely not the most rare thing in the world for that to happen. <laughs> yeah, so then it's, so it, it, in that case, then the banking system still has a lot of value then because, you know, they can verify me, you know, I, I lost my wallet. I went overseas. I come back. I walk into a Wells Fargo, and I say, "Here's my social security number, mm-hmm. um, or my, you know, one of one of one of the things that you can use to verify who I am." Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they go back. They see that yes, you do have dollars in the bank. Yep. Um, here's access to your right. to your banking. Yes, so that's true, mm-hmm. and I would argue that's a result of you know hundreds of years, I guess, at this point of mm-hmm. of a market being able to mature. Mm-hmm. So right now, I mean, the Bitcoin uh, ecosphere, whatever you want to call it, is mm-hmm. so new mm-hmm. that these sorts of uh, security measures are, are 
pot, potholes to fill are still being worked through. So mm-hmm. this is something that the community is, is trying to develop uh, right now currently is how do we allow, because you're right. I mean, it's a great point. How do you make it more marketable and, and, and adoptable for, for the layperson mm-hmm. who doesn't want to make a backup of their wallet? Mm-hmm. How do you do that? So I think the community is working on this, um, but it's a valid point. Yeah. Although I will say though, that it goes back to this idea of uh, centralization versus decentralization. And one of the problems with keeping all of your information like that uh, in a bank, mm-hmm. traditionally a traditional bank, is that they act as giant honeypots, mm-hmm. which is a way of saying that it, it's, it's very attractive to hackers mm-hmm. to go into. It's, it's one central place that they can hit. And if they hit that and breach that, then they get all this information. Mm-hmm. Whereas with Bitcoin, it's like BitTorrent, where everything is distributed. Mm-hmm. You, can't, you can't go to this giant monolithic place and grab a bunch of honey. Mm-hmm. Right. Got it. So then I didn't even understand how this you know, works, but one of the, another theory that I, I heard about just the blockchain in general is that it's, it's going to fundamentally restructure the internet. So, you know, that was so way over my head. Like I didn't even <laughs> yeah. understand what he was saying, but like, what, what does that mean? Like, Okay. Yes. And, uh, this is, this is really exciting to me too, as a web developer, Mm -hmm. seeing how this is changing, this could potentially change the internet. Um, because you're able to store things, store anything on the blockchain Mm -hmm. and verify its truth, we could potentially do away with, uh, hosting providers where we could be serving up web pages Mm -hmm not from a hosting server, a centralized server, but from everybody who has viewed that website and has a cache on their computer Got and it. who is currently online. Mm-hmm. Similar to Bit- BitTorrent, are you familiar mm-hmm. with BitTorrent, how you have seeders and leechers? Yep. Same thing. We could do that same thing, same concept with the entire internet. There's, uh, there's individuals out there who are currently working on this. The, the big one right now is um, IPFS, which stands for Interplanetary File System. Okay. And their they're, they're whole goal their their uh vision is to have the internet but completely decentralized and distributed uh so that way it's more secure and mm-hmm. we never lose any of this valuable information that mm-hmm. we're we're uh, accumulating every single day mm-hmm. are you familiar with the wayback machine or the internet archives yes. mm-hmm. so this is what the ipfs is trying to do but better basically and more dis- distributed and decentralized they're trying to make uh, uh backups of the mm-hmm. internet but stored on everybody's computer basically so when you say this this, this increases security how so um well like i said before you don't have that central honeypot to attack mm-hmm. um and another great feature about bitcoin is that it, it it uses this security concept called uh security by obscurity okay and this idea is that you make something more secure by not providing um, as much information to a, a, an attacker. And how Bitcoin uh, differentiates from traditional uh, exchange or, or payment systems is that it doesn't, you're not exposing your, your valuable information to potential attackers. All you're exposing is that public key, which is public. And it's given, given just that public key, nobody would be able to attack you without the private key. 
where now contrast that with this traditional system that we have where you're providing your name, your email, your, your, your debit card information, your social mm-hmm. security information. All that stuff is stored in centralized honeypot databases, mm-hmm. which can be breached by hackers. You know, Target is now known for this mm-hmm. recently. Over the few years now, Target has been breached continuously. Mm-hmm. And all of this email, all of these emails, all of these you know, personal information, social security numbers are being breached because they store it in a database. Whereas Bitcoin, you're not storing any of that. You're, you're, you're not even exposing it in the first place, which mm-hmm. is amazing. So, so this could be used to verify like, my identity as well. Yes. And there's people actually creating uh, platforms right now. Uh, so you're familiar with SSL certificates, yes. mm-hmm. HTTPS. There's people out there who are trying to use a blockchain to provide basically free SSL certificates um, based on uh, this idea. Yeah. So, so this, um, okay, so you have, I forget what, what, what they call it, but like using um, existing platforms for as logging credentials. Yeah. Um, could you see a future where I'm using, I basically have my, like when I use this as my login to all the services and platforms that I'm... Totally. Okay. And it's it's actually, that part of the technology isn't new. Okay. It's actually using, uh, like I mentioned before, the, the asymmetric, asymmetric encryption or the public-private key mm-hmm. authentication mechanism. That's decades old. Mm-hmm. Bitcoin's just using that as part of its verification system. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, so that's just being now made uh, available in different areas. So, okay, so now, one, one more thing before I, I just want to say, I was listening to an interview with Edward Snowden recently that okay. he gave uh, at this, uh, non, I think it was a nonprofit recently. But anyway, he was talking about how he, a question was asked to him if the NSA has breached these these recently thought of as strong encryption algorithms like SHA-256 or whatever. And he mentioned that uh, he believed that they hadn't. And, but he did believe that over the, you know, the next few years, they would probably reduce its strength by half with the introduction of quantum computers and stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's pretty cool, right? That it's, it's reassuring to know that these, these uh, strong encryption algorithms that Bitcoin uses and crypto mm-hmm. uses they're still strong and they're still viable. But another subtle point is that even if they are breached, mm-hmm. we have thousands, if not millions of open source developers now working on this stuff that would just create a new, new version, a new version of the encryption algorithm that would be stronger. So I don't think this is, this can be stopped. I mean, even by the, the NSA, this mm-hmm. is something that's here to stay. Right on. And it's, it's going to be secure too. Cool. All right. So, okay. So I'm a person that I'm sold. I want to get into this. I, I, I am fascinated by it. Like what's my first step? So I would probably, if you're completely new, I would probably go to a website called uh, weusecoins.com, And that gives you a very good introduction to all this stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but if, if I was completely new, I guess I would go on YouTube and just start looking at Bitcoin videos, just mm-hmm. basics of Bitcoin. There's a lot of really good stuff out there. 
Um, there's an individual in particular whose name's uh, Andreas Antonopoulos, okay. and he gives a lot of really, really good speeches on the fundamentals and the the philosophy, really, of, of Bitcoin. Cool. And yeah. also, you know, just get a wallet, you know, and just, I don't know, deposit 20 bucks mm-hmm. and just start playing around with it. So you have to have a computer to, to, to access this. You can't just do it from your phone, right? No, you can do it from your phone. Okay. Yep. Um, there's a bunch of wallets out there that you can just install with your phone and do it that way. Okay, so, so do you see this, you know, as mobile technology becomes you know, ubiquitous around the world, that more and more people are going to start using this as, as their way of exchanging value with each other? Hopefully. 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 I think, I think people should move towards it. Absolutely. Okay, so there, there are... So the you know, thing that's interesting about this blockchain and Bitcoin and all these other cryptocurrencies is the economics behind it, right? Um, what are some companies that you see beyond Bitcoin that are doing interesting things at different levels of this whole new uh, economic structure? Sure. Um, so one of the first ones that come to mind is a company called Change Tip. And what they do is they allow you to transfer Bitcoin or transfer any kind of crypto. I think they're doing more than Bitcoin now. Um, but th- they allow you to do it through uh, social media. Okay. Which is very interesting, right? Because you're able to transfer value of, of a crypto coin mm-hmm. through a mention, uh, through, a, through a Twitter mention. You mention their name, you mention the um, change to bot. They have a change to bot on Twitter. Mm-hmm. And the amount that you want to send, and then you tweet it. You tweet it to them, so you could tweet them five bucks in Bitcoin, and then they get this tweet. They they get a link, click the link, and then the, the coin goes in. And so it's a it's a fun way. There's also doing. They're also able to do like uh, animated gifts okay. of, of that have Bitcoin embedded in them. Okay, which is really interesting. I thought. Um, but the, the big thing here is that it allows you to do micro payments because that's what they are basically. Mm-hmm. Mic- micro payments. You're able to tip somebody a dollar mm-hmm. for free basically right um so the implications of that are really big though because up until now we, we haven't been able to do micropayments because it's been it hasn't been um, profitable to do so because of the fees associated with mm-hmm. these traditional payment processors so now you're able to do okay i want to send two dollars to a kenyan farmer mm-hmm. you can do that instantly with basically pennies on the dollar for a fee and boom, they have this money and they're able now to fund their store or whatever they're doing over there, mm-hmm. right? So it's like P2P micropayment transfers now. Got and it. this is opening up a whole, this is going to liberate the world, I feel like, because you're not, you're not uh, subject to the whims of, you know, big payment processors. You're mm-hmm. able to do a direct P2P tra- transfer of value. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I basically accumulate whatever value that I have over time and it's obviously being tracked with this with this ledger yeah, yeah. Um, that I can then say okay I now have accumulated X amount of value and I'm going to share that value with in these in these ways yeah to these people yeah 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 okay what, what, what are the companies are doing interesting things yeah so the right now the, the Ethereum community is really pushing the limits of 
well, maybe limits is who knows what the limits are, but they're pushing the envelope right now where this technology is going. And one of the cool companies out there right now, it's a private company that's been created. It's called Slocket. It stands for Secure Lock. So slock.it is the website. And what they're doing is they're taking smart locks that you can buy on Amazon right now that are just have a computer in them. And they're running the Ethereum blockchain on top of these blocks. And we haven't talked about this yet, but one of the interesting things about Ethereum is that it allows you to have a programming language inside the blockchain. So you can run programs when a transaction goes through. So now how this applies to Slocket is they're able to say, okay, if somebody sends me $10 or whatever, uh, and I receive that money, once that money is confirmed in my, in, on the blockchain, open up this lock, right? Or power this electric car when they drive up to it. If they drive up, up you know, let's say they have a sensor on the bottom of their car, they drive over this electric uh, charger on their car, and they initiate the payment transfer, the transfer is confirmed, and then their car can, can um, charge. All of these really interesting use cases, this is what Slocket is trying to get out into the world. So, okay, so go back, go back to Ethereum once. Like, is Ethereum another version of like the Bitcoin blockchain? You have the Ethereum blockchain? Like, what is Ethereum? Yeah, so maybe it's confusing because I haven't mentioned, so another piece of this is that you have this, you have a network associated with a cryptocurrency and the network being the amount of people using it, the ecosphere around that and the blockchain, the, under, the underlying blockchain technology behind it. Mm -hmm. So Ethereum, the code base in Ethereum has its own blockchain. And you're using, just like Bitcoin has its own blockchain, just mm -hmm. kind of like uh, Litecoin, Dogecoin, all of these coins have their own blockchains, which is just a ledger over time. Mm -hmm. Now, do they talk to each other? Like this is, yeah. Blockchains? Yes, you can. I don't know exactly how it works, but I know you can. I think it's called sidechains uh, okay. it's a it's an area that's being developed i believe but yeah you can you can break off into another it's called a sidechain and then you can have that communicate with a different coin so so this so this then is is fundamentally different from i'm trying to I'm trying to parallel it to the internet as it is today okay right so is would 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 it be the same to say like godaddy and Bluehost are two separate blockchains, but they're all communicating with the same internet. Like, is that is that a good parallel to think about it, or is it completely different? It's it's completely different. Uh, it it uses its own protocol. Okay. So just you know how we use HTTPS. Mm -hmm. That's that's a hypertext protocol for the internet. Mm -hmm. Bitcoin uses its own protocol. Okay. So, are you familiar with FTP? Yeah, mm -hmm. so that's its own protocol. That's a different protocol. This is a different protocol, communication or network protocol. Okay. Yeah. So Ethereum has, what, have they built more functionality into their, into their blockchain? Yeah. Is, is what they've done? Yeah. Okay. So Bitcoin allows you to, it allows you to transfer simple text strings mm -hmm. with a message so you can put this metadata or, or whatever a message in the, in the transaction itself 
Ethereum is different because it allows you to execute a, an entire program. Uh, like you have a function that adds two numbers, for example. Mm -hmm. When a transaction goes through, it'll add those two numbers and give you the results or something. Okay. So it's called a Turing complete programming language. So it allows you to do whatever you want to do, mm -hmm. basically. Uh, it's pretty incredible. So, okay, so how, how does Ethereum like make money from all this? Right, so Ethereum isn't a, isn't a company, though. It's not a company. It's just okay. a, uh, they have the, let's call it Ethereum Foundation, which is a bunch of de developers who are working, in, working on the open source code. Got it. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. Okay, I didn't, I didn't realize that it was, it was open source. So, yeah. Okay, so you basically have companies that are building their, like that Smart Locket yeah. companies, yep. building their, their for-profit company on the backbone of what Ethereum has built. Exactly. V very similar to what WordPress does. Exactly. Okay. Yep. Okay, so then... So what are some other use cases for the blockchain beyond... Um, like financial transactions. Like, what are what are some other things that there's there's you know anonymizing users, right? Mm -hmm. So that's that's one. Mm -hmm. Can you think of any others? Um. Well, I guess in so much as far as the uh, anonymity is different from uh, verification of your identity mm -hmm. that the verification of your identity is something that's huge. So uh, you can, and we spoke about this before you can, you can say, Hey, this is me. And I know, and I, you know, it's me because this is my mm -hmm. public key and this so, is my password associated with me. So do you ever see a future where like there's me Yeah, and I have, you know, I use the Bitcoin blockchain for certain things. Anonymously, mm -hmm. I use the Ethereum blockchain for something anonymously, mm -hmm. and I use these others. So basically, I could be, you know, a, a, a human rights activist, but I only use those transactions through Bitcoin, and nobody knows, can't identify who I am. Yeah. And then, you know, I buy my, uh, refill my toothpaste using Ethereum yeah. on the Ethereum, uh, and that actually knows who I am. If you if you explicitly tell the transaction that hey this is who I am mm -hmm. that's right now that's the only way you can explicitly state like this is my name this is my personal information Got but it. Uh, because remember all that's exposed is that public key mm -hmm. which is just a it's just a hash an alphanumeric hash of the representation of your private key. So kind of like similar, it's, ex it's almost exactly similar to how the DNS system works for the internet. So you know how we have these IP addresses? Mm -hmm. That could be associated or compared to the hashes, the mm -hmm. wallet hashes. Now when the DNS system came in, they said, hey, this is too convoluted, this is too cryptic for most people. Mm -hmm. Let's map a human-readable name to these IP addresses like Amazon.com. Now Amazon.com points to that IP. Got it. So this would be the IP. Yeah, exactly. And it's it's interesting because it's so new still that mm -hmm. we're still using these hashes. I think the next step is going to be creating some human re human readable form of these hashes. So like Gario's wallet instead of 
one three five seven capital G. You know, mm-hmm. yeah. Got it. Interesting. And there are people working on that, which is very cool. So then, like, do how do you become a part of the the community that is working on on the future of this? Like, yeah. Because since it's open source, like, do you mm-hmm. just go to the GitHub repository and start contributing? Or, Basically, know, yeah. There's, there are forums. Uh, the Ethereum has official forums on their website that you can talk to with the other developers. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's, there's certain chat uh, outlets that you can talk to the actual developers like on Slack and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's basically just as simple as contributing code to the open source. Request a pull request or get a, get a pull request and then, and then put it back up. In the, yeah. so, okay, so, but all of these like open source communities, they have to be governed in some way, shape, or form, right? Yeah. And from what I understand, that's the responsibility of the Ethereum Foundation. They kind of act as the code review team. Got it. Um, one of the, the, the founder of Ethereum, his name is Vitalik uh, Buterin, and uh, he, he's kind of looked up as the, the leader in this space, the Ethereum space mm-hmm. anyway. Um, but yes, very, very genius people. <laughs> very smart people. So are these primarily, like, who, who are the ones that are contributing most to, to, to this? Are there, you know, they're economists, right, that are thinking about, you know, how is this going to impact um, society moving forward? And then you have developers who are looking at, you know, the code base. Mm-hmm. Are they on equal footing in terms of their contributions, or are they, you know, is, is, is one driving driving the, 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 the ship more than the other? It's an interesting question. I know that uh, the Ethereum project or Ethereum community mm-hmm. They took counsel from uh, an economist. His name is Jeffrey Tucker. Uh, I know they had him as a as an advisor. I don't know what his contributive role was. Obviously, he's not a programmer, so he wasn't able to give advice there. But from a theoretical um, economic standpoint, he was able to give some advice. There's another economist out there, Robert P. Murphy, who is involved in the crypto sphere. Who is was able to kind of give a reason for for an economic reason why Bitcoin or cryptocurrencies have have mm-hmm. sprung, like what their value is to to econ- uh, economics, the field of economics. Yeah. So okay, when you look at incumbent industries and their reaction to the new and shiny, um, I know like we see like the music industry when Napster came mm-hmm. about and it was you know streaming of music like they went after the users and they went after the company like tooth and nail mm-hmm. right and yeah. it uncovered all these inefficiencies and um just issues with the economics of the music industry as a whole like mm-hmm. it, it, you know shed some sunlight on a lot of the, the things that were going on behind the scenes now i haven't heard much pushback from incumbents when it comes to Bitcoin. Like, I haven't heard a lot about, you know, what banks are doing to kind of stop it. Or I haven't heard much about what, you know, governments are doing to try and, like, 
derail it. Sure. I haven't heard the IRS doing anything yeah. beyond you know what you just mentioned, which was um, figuring out a way to tax it using existing tax law. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, do you see them as like learning the lessons of the industry of like the music industry, or do you do you envision them like basically? building up to, to go toe-to-toe with, like, the open-source community right. on this. I think they're smarter than that, and I think that they... I think what their strategy right now is um, they're trying to allow it to cultivate and, and blossom mm-hmm. technology without putting too many regulations on it right now. Okay. Because I think that if they did that, they're thinking that if they did that, they would stifle its innovation. Mm-hmm. Um, Andreas Antonopoulos, the same guy I mentioned before, he gave a he gave some... Uh, uh, testimony to uh, I think the Canadian government and also the US government mm-hmm. to con- over to Congress and he was basically urging them you know don't put any restrictions on this right now because if you do you're going to stifle the the innovation mm-hmm. and so I think they maybe have listened to other people as well but I'm sure he was influential in having them not pass a bunch of draconian laws to mm-hmm. restrict the, the technology but so, so, so that's the government side. What about the um, the the banking industry? Like, they, yeah, they they are clearly at risk, right? With this, because every every example of value that I've heard is reduction of transaction fees, the speed in which these transactions take place. Like, yep, they're all the things that the the value of the traditional banking system is being slowly eroded yeah. by this technology. Yep. And the second it reaches mass adoptions, mm-hmm. the value of the bank goes away. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, what are they doing to to try and either be a part of or slow down the development of like blockchain technology? So there was recently a conference called Consensus uh, that was that was um, put on, which was a culmination and, and a gathering a whole, of a whole bunch of cryptocurrency enthusiasts, mostly Bitcoin enthusiasts. Um, and what was interesting is that the the roster list of most people who were there were were um, industry related, mostly banking, mm-hmm. a lot of bankers, a lot of uh, CEOs of, of certain banks, and. From what I can tell, what they're trying to do is they're trying to, because remember, it's open source software, mm-hmm. right? So what they're trying to do, I believe, is take the blockchain, the underlying blockchain technology mm-hmm. and port that over to their current system of, of their current business model. Mm-hmm. So in other words, um, I think what they're trying to envision is if you go to Wells Fargo, you'll be able to transfer your money using the block, like an like a intercompany blockchain. You can take the blockchain, just put it in the company's or on the company servers, like behind a walled gar- garden. Mm-hmm. And so that way, you'll be able to um, send your your transfers using a blockchain. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're trying to adopt the technology, but the problem is that they're using the old paradigm, and a lot of people are thinking that it's not going to work. They're trying; they're basically trying to uh, survive under an in- insurvivable <laughs> situation. Yeah, so they're basically going like, okay, let's incrementally upgrade the way we do double entry accounting. Yeah, basically. Okay. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny because, like, you know, you kind of look at, um, you know, when I, when I think about this, I look at, you know, countries that 
um, populations that have no are just being introduced to the internet for the first time. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And you know the value that it brings. <clears throat> and now, you know these 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 groups of people can. Now they're not just getting the internet; they're getting internet, they're getting a new way of banking, yeah. which is just basically a new way of, of exchanging right. and accumulating value. Right. Um, it's interesting that like I, I don't see, I don't see any. It's like if you go to, um, you know, a, 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 a third world country, you know, the cell phone is is. Is the is the computer? Yeah, right. It's not you know, your desktop, and they probably never have a desktop because yeah, like, yeah. This idea of having a physical computer that's connected to the internet that you have to you know sit down and, and work on. Mm-hmm. Um, they basically leapfrogged yes. all that history to this new way of doing things, um, and I feel like the blockchain or cryptocurrencies. Is a way to basically leapfrog um, the traditional banking system entirely. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but yeah, it's very interesting because we in the West now we have all of this uh, built-up infrastructure to to uh, remove mm-hmm. if we choose to adopt this technology. Whereas somewhere in the third world, they'll be able to just to, yeah, like you're saying, leapfrog right to the right to this, right to the which is stuff. really really awesome because. I don't know. I recently watched a documentary, a really good one, called uh, Poverty Inc. And it was all about showcasing how the current, the current uh, transfer of funds to the third world is occurring through mm-hmm. non-governmental organizations and, and uh, Western countries to the third world governments and stuff and how inefficient it is right now. And how it's just not working, and how what the what the underlying problem is. They they go really into good detail about it. But I think one of the solutions here is instead of going through this this jungle gym of different going to this NGO, going to this corrupt government, and then maybe going to this company that you know is producing a product in in uh, Kenya, right? Mm-hmm. Instead of doing that, you go right to the person. Mm-hmm. I want to fund this Kenyan company. I'm going to fund it. I don't. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to go through this. This uh, these third parties. So then, so what? So what does? What does the role of the 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 banks become then in this new economy? It's a great question. I don't know. Like I've I've, I've heard uh, what one theory, which I thought was pretty interesting, is that they basically become infrastructure. Like they they don't offer any services or anything. They just basically help with the infrastructure of the transactions. So they okay. basically are. It's just using the banking rails, basically. Uh, but it's okay. still it's still peer to peer. Like you're not going to Wells Fargo for approval to then transfer the funds. You're just basically you know, they build their own. Their own rails using Ethereum technology, and it's just running back and forth on there. That's interesting. I'd like. Do you know what those specifics were? Like, no, nope, it, would... it was it was literally like just a theory that somebody threw out. I, I don't. I don't know if I agree with that. I mean, maybe I. 
if I knew more about it, it'd be, I'd be able to stay more of an opinion. But because you don't really need that much infrastructure. Mm-hmm. The infrastructure is already in the blockchain. Interesting. So, okay, so then they, they really don't have a, a, a purpose then. Well, I... I so this kind of, I guess, gets into economic theory, but I can see a situation where banks would mostly be um, kind of investment houses, right? Where you, you you can take some of your money or your Ether or Bitcoin or whatever, put it in this organization, and then get a rate of return, get an interest on it. You'll get an you'll get an interest rate and get a rate of return on it, um, because that is definitely something that that the current banking system offers that helps the economy which is it allocates resources over time through the interest rate so if the interest rate is low it allows people to borrow money at lower interest rates and build these things where if they're high it, it incentivizes people to save their money right mm-hmm. so i could envision maybe a company maybe not even called a bank anymore where you just put your money in and it gives you a rate of return mm-hmm. or something or, or it's an investment vehicle where you're able to um, in fact, there's there's something that was just created recently, about a few months ago. It's called the DAO. Mm-hmm. It stands for a decentralized autonomous organization, mm-hmm. and it was the theory behind it was created by Vitalik, the founder of Ethereum. And his his vision for this was: can we create a, an organization that is able to be self sustaining without any human input? Sort of like the internet, right? Mm-hmm. But the difference with the internet is that you still have human uh, touches with maintaining servers and all these things. Mm-hmm. But with this, you would be able to... The idea is that um, you would be able to contribute to it. Everybody would be able to contribute to it. And then based on the smart contracts, stuff would happen, mm-hmm. right? Whatever you'd want to happen. Fund this company execute this function and then get a return on it or, or mm-hmm. whatever get it a get a consequence and remember that slocket company i was mentioning mm-hmm. they're the ones that created this this uh, organization called the dow in a way to fund their company because they were realizing well we can't go to traditional investors mm-hmm. this is i'm assuming this is what they're thinking but we couldn't go to traditional investors with this idea because it's so risky. Mm-hmm. It's still so new. We're using the Ethereum blockchain. Nobody even understands what that is. Mm-hmm. Why don't instead we, we, we crowdsource our funding? We crowdfund our company. Mm-hmm. But instead of just doing the traditional Kickstarter or whatever, we do uh, a decentralized autonomous organization, this, this theory that Vitalik created instead. And what they, so they created this thing. It's up and running now. They're doing a token sale. Mm-hmm. And the, right now, for until the end of May, and the token sale is you can buy certain tokens through Ether. If you purchase these tokens with Ether, you get them, and then you're able to vote on what companies will be funded by the DAO through the tokens. And Slocket is going to be the first company, mm-hmm. and so essentially, uh, you're able to invest in companies or organizations through the DAO mm-hmm. in a self-sustaining way and, and get returns on it as an investment vehicle. It's super fascinating stuff. It's <laughs> oh my goodness. Yeah. Do you still have do you still have your, your, your slides up? I do, yeah. Okay. So I definitely want to link to those because sure, sure. those are those are super helpful. Um, yeah, I can't I can't think of can you think of anything else that you you want to share on? Um we covered a lot. Yeah, there's there's so much more. I mean, oh, we 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 could have another conversation like in another month, and then everything would be different, probably. But um, I think we covered a lot. Yeah. 
Cool. Well, yeah, that's that's definitely plan on that because I cool. feel like this is going to be one of those one of those topics that like you know we could have a whole thing just talking about um, you know what does the technology mean? Yeah, you know for you know the future of of the way we build things on the internet. Right. Um, and then there's the whole economic portion that I'm really fascinated by is, you know, a, a creator and someone um, that whatever the person's creating um, sees value in and is willing to exchange it digitally. I'm thinking specifically of like, right now, like design, right? Like I can be in, you know, anywhere in the world, you know, I have access to the same tools and I can pass what I've created with my skill set to you mm-hmm. um, over the internet without ever seeing you. Yeah. Um, and you pay me mm-hmm. using, you know, some blockchain technology. Yeah. So that that's fascinating to me because now that completely changes, you know, the value of yeah, a creative yeah. who you can walk up to and mm-hmm. actually, you know, talk with them about what you want them to do. Yeah. That completely, that completely disrupt an entire industry. It's yeah, absolutely. So I, it, yeah. yeah, there's so many little use cases like that. Like I, I think in the future, parents will set up a smart contract on the Ethereum blockchain or whatever, mm-hmm. some blockchain, a smart contract, where they say, okay, if you do these chores, you know, I'll the the contract will execute and you'll get paid automatically without me even having to send you money. You'll just mm-hmm. deposit from my bank account to your to your wallet or whatever. <laughs> Basically, it's, it's anything that can be verified digitally somehow yeah. is open to disruption totally. with this. Totally. So even if, like, the example that you gave that is kind of bringing it full circle for me is, you know, a, a car, that's a physical vehicle. Mm-hmm. And you drive over this this thing and now because it is physically there it has triggered something to say like you know this person has has completed this this action mm-hmm. therefore release you know the gas that's exactly it and this person meaning we know this person who mm-hmm. he is and it's not this other person this person has completed mm-hmm. this action exactly They've they've done this, and we know it's this person doing it. And now let's do this other thing, right? Execute this contract mm-hmm. or execute this function. Cool. All right. Well, yeah, we we will we will definitely come back to this. Awesome. Awesome. Well, Had a great time. Me too, man. Thank you. Later.